This is Sabrina Monarch, and this is a show about spiritual lifestyle and personal evolution. I'm an evolutionary astrologer, a clairvoyant, and a thought leader, and I started this podcast to have eclectic and impactful conversations about astrology as well as all things spiritual and personal development. Two new chapters of Hungry Ghosts of Paradise. The usual, this is an audio novella that I've been sharing in as I go. I record chapters after I write them and share them. Go back to the beginning if you're just tuning in, and please know that this story is explicit. It is for adults. Uh, It contains triggering content, so please listen responsibly. Thank you for reaching out and letting me know how the story is reaching you. I love to hear about your experience. I love to hear your thoughts. It actually means a great deal to me. And yeah, I will... Leave us to these next two chapters now. Chapter 25. I spent the summer of 2016 preparing to get into Naropa's psychology graduate program. There are books to read, essays to write. Notably, I learned that psyche and spirit are connected that it is inextricably psychological to relate or not relate to God. With this, I get some distance from the belief that God has abandoned me and can begin to see this as a psychological complex, albeit one I cannot yet understand or fully unroot. I take in this new knowledge by a cliff outside my tent at a friend's campout wedding that I would have invited Aiden to. By August, I've enrolled in three community college classes to fulfill the prerequisite requirements for the Naropa application that I did not have from my undergrad. I work 12 hours a week as a nanny. I'm in a domestic abuse survivor advocacy training. I see Mark Jones for therapy once a week, and I begin an Ashtanga yoga practice five to six mornings a week at 6.30 a.m. I've begun to feel disenchanted about socializing. At the same time, for the sake of my budding business as an astrologer, it's important for my forecasts and social media presence to gain traction, for people to know that I exist. I don't draw attention to myself to socialize, but to advertise, and I enter a touchy territory of needing attention to achieve my goals, but wanting people to leave me alone, unless they mean to pay me, something I'm painfully aware of but don't find any real way to address publicly due to the fear of how I might be perceived. I don't dislike people. I just don't trust people to meet me where I am now, with all of this pain. I expect to be taken advantage of. I expect people are trying to eat me. Or at minimum, I expect to be bored and disappointed. Even if I try to have people understand me, I feel my words don't reach a place of resonance inside of them. I would rather wall myself off than be disappointed again and again. If I can just regain my strength, then maybe I can re-enter the relational arena. As you mature psychologically, you'll attract more psychologically mature partners. 
Although my own life isn't ideal, I do feel capable of reading charts for people. Business is, however, slow, so I focus mainly on growing my audience for the weekly forecasts, trusting in the possibility of generating client work in the future. For perhaps the first time in my life, I feel encased by an iron fortress. I've always been open to connection, even energetically looking side to side, scanning the room for it. I begin to put my head down in front of me, focus on the task at hand, which I have mountains of now. While I am aware that I am living defensively, that I am living in a trauma reaction, I enjoy the feeling of self-esteem I get from feeling I have important things to do. Those who try to interrupt my focus, who are not trying to work with me, but just want to hang out or pick my brain, I become deeply unreceptive to, not with willpower alone, but with the full schedule I have cloaked around myself in psychic defense. I do hang out with friends, sparingly, but I'm not very capable of play or fun or mirth of any kind and cannot receive the advice to just have fun and have new experiences. I prefer to get my social needs met by healers that I pay for their services or trade astrology readings with because they can hold what casual social situations can't. I recognize, or I hope, that I won't always be this way. So I refrain from being hard on myself about the fact that most of my intimacy is mediated by cash exchange. The kids I nanny draw out the best, most lighthearted side of me. Who needs friends when you're in therapy, have a job, and are a caretaker? Every day I share soulful reflections on the internet and seek to enchant the masses so that I will be granted the social role I desire, a career I'm making for myself. But I'm also fielding people's attempts to socialize with me more intimately, or people's attempts to get something from me since I seem to know things. After a full day of studying and work, and it's dark outside, and I'm ready to go to bed, I get DMs from people asking me to help them for free, and I'll throw my phone on the bed, genuinely confused. What the fuck, God? I'm trying to modulate my embodiment the signals I give to the world. I'm trying to discover success and I'm training all day every day to get there. I'm down to help, but I want to be paid. I'm scanning case by case. If the lesson is to have a boundary or if the lesson is working for free because I am in training. A thought that warms me is that I wouldn't be the first person in the spotlight or seeking the spotlight who actually feels deeply alone. The spotlight is a prayer, the gate, a filter. The parking lot at the community college is a 10-minute walk to class. Culturally, it's not like the Olympia I usually know. There are American flags, pickup trucks. It's not a liberal arts college. One of my classmates is 19 or 20 years old looking, exceptionally beautiful in a popular and high school kind of way. Her golden blonde, flawlessly blown out and waving hair spills out of a MAGA hat. On the class-prompted question of, should breastfeeding be allowed in public, she grimaces. What if I'm like at the mall, trying to eat? I don't want to see that. Despite her edge, her aura waves in and out of being charismatic. 
She has boys on either side of her who seem to be in love with her. She clicks her French tip acrylics on the desk, finger by finger, a clicking wave. Sometimes I'm so compelled and confused by her. I imagine the walk-in closet she grew up with, with an electronically rotating clothes rack. Her strong father figure, Republican. Their family vacations, floating poolside, barbecues. The impeccable performance of American rites of passage, proms, football games. All the love her world gives her, even though she hates the feminine. But the romantic gestures, doors being held open for her, robust men who like their guns swooping her up in their arms, giving her the heat of their sun. Does she like it? Is she a romantic or does she just benefit? And I wonder if she'll always feel like the love in her world is enough. If the spell of it will keep the manicured world satisfying enough. Because she's clearly a winner in her realm. And she doesn't seem to want for anything. I wonder what, in the greater world, her version of love sustains. On the ten-minute walk to class and back through the weeks, I see the same man over and over again, like we have similar schedules, without us having class together. I don't really think anything of it, until he comes up to me from behind as we walk. Hey, I'm Brian. I see you all the time. Yeah, I, I recognize you. Brian has honey golden tufts of hair, dresses simple and nondescript, jeans and a solid blue t-shirt. He carries himself like a diligent worker, capable, steadfast, but nervous and fidgety like he's repressed, like life has been hard, like he's never fully relaxed his nervous system. But he's present as he talks to me, and human, so I reciprocate. We talk about this and that. What are you studying? He asks me. Psychology. What do you want to do with that? I explain I'm an astrologer, and I'm expanding my skill set so I can counsel better. Astrology, he asks. I never really thought that was, like, real. But I've also never met an astrologer. He doubts, but his eyes are sparkling and alive, and he says, Can you tell me about my sign? No, I sigh, too tired. But you can read my forecast if you want. I publish one every week and I give him my website. He approaches me another day as I sit at a table, formatting a forecast for my mailing list, the list which I've only just started in addition to having my blog and website. I'm adding illustrations, formatting, finalizing, my nervous system buzzing with the anticipation to broadcast. He slams his hands on the table. I read your forecasts, he announces. I even went back in time to previous weeks where I was going through some stuff to see if they related. He shudders. And they were accurate. It honestly scared me. So I wanted to tell you, I'm a believer now. That's great, I say, as mildly and neutrally as possible. Really, like, I don't know what you'd call it, but I'll be a follower of you now. Devotee. Please don't, I say. Brian's enthusiasm, his warmth, 
hits my emptiness and touches in a ghostly way my desire to receive a man's focused attention. But being some exotic mystic witch that shakes up his world seems traumatizing and imbalanced. He hits at my desire to be rescued from the drought that I live inside of, and hits at my bracing for disappointment that I know he won't, even though he's taken the time to peer into my world, a world I want penetrated by someone more like Aiden. And it still hurts, more than it feels like an opening for connection. Maybe he's being playful, but I'm not willing to take the risk of another Francisco, me out here, shamanic, in a dark night of the soul, looking people sincerely in the eyes from the present depth of my being, scaring the boys. I'm busy, I say. I was working on something. I still run into him on the walks to and from class. We say hello. I see him in the administrative office one day as I'm taking care of some paperwork, and my heart is just a little bit more open that day and I'm ready to be casually friendly. I ask how he is. It's okay. We don't have to talk. I know you don't want to talk to me. His facial expression is pure. He wants nothing from me. His candor surprises me. I don't argue with him. We downgrade to head nods when we pass each other on the path. Chapter 26 One evening, the light thought crosses my mind. I'm open to connection. A flash moment of softening the guard. Immediately, I receive a Facebook message from a man named Damien, who I'd met one time a month or so prior. He came to get a mini astrology reading from me, around 10 minutes, when I was giving readings in town and had made a post about it on social media, inviting people to come see me that day. When he arrived, he'd asked if I'd recognized him, that we're friends online. No, I said, sorry. Damien had asked me why, what it might be in his chart, or what advice I could give him about why sketchy or nefarious people enter his inner circle. He seemed appreciative and left. The light thought crosses my mind. I'm open to connection. And Damien messages me immediately. Hey, Sabrina, dot, dot, dot. How are you doing? Normally, I would have ignored the message as I was ignoring mostly everyone. But the timing caught my attention. So I wrote back. Hey, just finishing a day of class and work. How about you? Dots, 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 as he types. I've been wanting to talk to you for a while, he says, but for some reason I didn't feel you were open to it. Wow, I write back. I wasn't open until a moment ago. You're psychic? He's a Gemini. I get lost in a vortex of text conversation with him. We are either typing, reading, talking, looking at dots bouncing on the screen for two hours straight, like we're devouring the conversation. We talk about psychic visions, animal totems, athletics, clean eating, diets based on blood types, books we like. I tell him about the lights. Wow, you're really powerful. That's dope, he says. 
He tells me about how foxes are his totem animals, how he sees them most days. And one of the reasons he came to see me in town that day was not just because he wanted to meet me, but because I shared a photo of myself sitting there giving readings, wearing a fox on my shirt. He wants to see me. I'm actually busy. I've done this to myself, but I can see him in a week. I invite him over for dinner as I'm simple, and I trust I will actually enjoy his company and can finally do my thing. The food I make is a disaster, but he eats it gracefully, like it's delicious. While I was cooking, I reconsidered why I even like to cook for people. The pressure. Why didn't we just go out? Never even hung out with him before. But whatever. I'm committed. This is what we're doing. He brings me flowers. He's excited to be here with me. He says he didn't want to hit on me while I was working because that's totes and appropes. We laugh. But that I'm really beautiful and magical. He makes eye contact with me, even as his body language is fluid and shifty. He bites his lower lip often, and it looks like it bears the scars of deeper bites, and I'm not really sure what that's about. His body is positioned warmly, openly toward me. I learned from our conversation that he's a mixed martial arts fighter professionally, that he's a dad, that he loves comic books and the really dark, gritty ones. Damien has a Mars-Saturn conjunction in Scorpio, and with his inspiration, he eventually lends me a book. Gritty comic book aesthetic becomes a standard for me when it comes to illustrating the forecasts when Mars and Saturn are aspecting each other. Damien has epilepsy and takes the same seizure medication I was prescribed as a mood stabilizer the time I was coerced into taking psychiatric drugs in my early 20s for a bipolar diagnosis. I hated those pills, but they actually helped Damien. I wonder if the medication connected us ethereally, the same way mugwort or damiana or tobacco or other plants can connect people ethereally. I tell him a little bit about what I've been through recently, and he meets it with compassion. He doesn't lean in revealing his incisors. He's just sweet, cancer rising. Damien opens up in kind. Damien has a criminal record because he beat up a man within an inch of his life for molesting Damien's son. In this conversation... I learned that although he has a criminal record, he is not sworn off from intervening in street fights if duty calls, if he has a friend or an innocent to protect, even though if he's caught, he'll most likely go to prison. You'd risk going to prison? I ask. If someone needs to be beat up, he essentially replies. But why do you want to take on the karma of being judge, jury, and executioner? Is it really worth your freedom to you? Worth getting to be a parent? We go back and forth about it, but my perspective doesn't even seem to land. Like he doesn't comprehend it. Like it's a glitch in a program. I feel a fractal of vigilantism. How he intervenes in reality with violence because he has the body and the training for it. He'll intervene when he believes it's just or necessary and how I wish to intervene in his fate, to save him from going to prison, or to save his son from losing a father. 
how I think for a moment I even have that power, or could get to having that power, the closer I got to him. But it reminds me of trying to prevent Aiden's paragliding accident, or the futility of trying to prevent death. As we speak about it, I can feel the wave that is already in motion. If he's in the wrong place at the wrong time, or the right place at the right time, depending on who's judging, prison is certainly in the cards for him. Everything is lined up just right for that. A river of energy cascading in that direction. Since he's attacking villains and not innocents, protecting innocence even in the face of violence that's already occurring and he steps in with overkill. The violence is less disturbing to me than the fact that he doesn't have the will or desire to evade prison. He, despite being a trained and violent man, feels distinctly safe for me, attuned to me, respectful, adoring. And we already have a notable psychic connection. I'm well aware of the parts of my natal chart and life experience that point to a need for better discrimination and discernment in love. The way he is lethal, and yet, I sense will only ever be kind to me, feels like the kind of lover who can reach into the darkness I'm residing in. The way he desires me, but is letting me pace it. The way he felt my closing and left me alone. The way he felt my opening turns me on. And I've already been drowning in longing, staving it off by working all of the time. So later, as the conversation morphs to a love of psychedelic experiences, I tell him I have mushrooms upstairs and ask if he wants to take some with me. Definitely, he says excitedly. You mean right now? Yeah. I say, and lead him to my bedroom. We take mushrooms and he really makes love to me. His touch is tender. He falls back into his own sensations and feels me from the bottom of an ocean, magnifying a circuit between us of capacity to feel. Swirls of green light surround us, and I let myself receive him from a place of needing nothing from him beyond this moment. I'm not holding on. He's my first lover after Aiden, and the channels that opened with Aiden are still there. I easily go into a tantric space that has already been mapped and opened, but it's not attached to Damien or even Aiden. It's just mine. I feel the ocean crashing in and receding back, the ocean floor. A moment of flowering in a far corner of a labyrinth. A small yes to life, even if it appears questionable on paper. Preemptively, I'm not attached, because I know where he's going. I know there is no life for us to build together. I know I don't want him that way. He sends me a hard-eyed emoji from the car as he drives away later, after I didn't invite him to spend the night. My bedroom wall's breathing. I remember I'm high. And I choose not to be scared, like telling a dog to sit. And I take myself to bed, my bed a riverboat carrying me to sleep. Mm-hmm.